Alright, uh, go with me over to Second Corinthians. Uh, chapter 12. It's funny how uh, just throughout the week, just kind of run into something over and over again. Kind of run into the same topic of conversation or the same you know, issue in, in talking to various people or dealing with various things. And this week I kept kind of bumping into this that we're going to talk about today. Uh, also in my own experiences. Um, and we may as well start in one. That's how we've been taught around here. So I will... Uh, I will avoid sliding back into 11. I, I, I don't know that that would really do much good here this morning. So Paul says in 12, It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory, for I will come to revela- visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows. He was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Like the marginal reading there, which is not possible for a man to utter. That seems to fit the bill a little bit better to me. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself will I not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. I will say the truth. Now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be or that he hears of me. So, of course, of course, Paul is talking about himself and his own experiences here of being caught up into the third heaven. I'm sure he left claw marks on the doors after the, the apostles gathered around and prayed for him to come back. But... Uh, uh, you know, it, it's funny because he says in verse 5, of such a one will I glory, but myself wouldn't, but in my infirmities. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, we all know better than to glory in our accomplishments or experiences. And yet there is this sort of little piece of human nature that, that still does. You know, And the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, the Bible says, "What uh, you know? What do we have that we had, didn't receive?" And so, I think it's a mark of of maturity of, of just growing in God to to under the the more you do, the more you understand that the things that God does in your life or through your life are not because of you particularly. Uh, I've often found, in fact, they are in spite of you. <laughs> So, um, you know, there, there's nothing like trying to do a job with a tool that doesn't really work like it's supposed to. I mean, you ever, like, you get something that you buy it and it actually works exactly like they said it would and you're just amazed? Like, wow, this thing does exactly what they said it would do. Like, I was the kid that was uh, would get some toys. Like, this thing doesn't fly. Flew on the commercial, you know. And um, so... Uh, yeah, but you know he says here that uh, that that 
not, he wouldn't glory in these these great visions and revelations of God, but in his infirmities. And of course, there is a uh, kind of a, a double-edged sword there because it's easy to see your infirmities uh, or sufferings or tribulations or or whatever you, you however you want to think about it. It's easy to see those as a badge of of accomplishment as well, or a badge of, of you know, uh, piety. Um, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Um, and, he, and he goes on to say uh, that, you know, he that he doesn't want, that he, he wouldn't have anybody think of him as more than what he is. Which is interesting because this is the same guy that said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, and so it's like you know, if if you if you could say that without any sense of um, uh, self-aggrandizement, that's a really amazing statement. And so, um, but but he he's you know, as you read through Paul's writings, it's like he's balancing out that with you know, don't think of me as better than you than. Uh, than I, than I really am, because of course he goes on to, you know, he he points out his faults and uh, from the past and, and all sorts of things like that as well. So here's kind of where I really wanted to get to. Uh, in verse seven, he says, "Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." So. Uh, I like how he specifically does not tell you what this is. Um, you know, uh, he just calls it a thorn. You know, could be you know another word that you could use here would be splinter. Um, and you know, who knows how much fun splinters are? I used to get splinters all the time my, uh, when I painted stuff, and. Um, uh, I would always get these ones that I could never get them back out. They would just be in there forever, you know. So it's like I probably have like wood coursing through my veins. But, um, uh, but you know, the funny thing about a splinter or a, or a thorn, either one, is uh, you know, uh, a splinter, for example, can really easily get infected, and then you have this really tiny thing that really, really hurts. Uh, or a thorn. I like the idea of a thorn because we used to have this rose bush in Baldwin that was so huge. There's actually three rose bushes all planted right next to each other, and we had to kind of keep up on it or it would overgrow the sidewalk and you couldn't get to our door. And and then we got this weird little vine thing that would... uh, grow around it and it was it would wrap around it and branches were dying and all this stuff and uh, I don't have anything remotely resembling a green thumb but I figured probably the dead stuff should go so I'd get in there and uh, you know snip those branches and of course being a rosebush you like snip the branch and it doesn't go anywhere it just kind of hangs there so then you have to fight all the thorns and the other branches and everything to get it out uh, and then you end up all scratched at all the heck uh, but you know, a rose bush is interesting because the the scratches, like I don't know, they there's something to that. I don't know what it is, but like it, it hurts worse than a regular scratch. It kind of is like 
There's probably something on it, I would imagine. But, uh, you know, again, a very minor thing, but, but still really painful and obnoxious nonetheless. Uh, but, you know, so he, you know, there's been all sorts of speculation down through the centuries about what it was that Paul was talking about, but he left it super vague on purpose because it, because we can all identify with having a thorn in the flesh. We can all identify with having some sort of uh, thing that we just wish would go away, and it just doesn't go away. But he calls this thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan. It's kind of funny. This is the word where we get angel from, messenger. And uh, so, you know, and messenger is, is really the, the most appropriate word for it. Um, but I like this word buffet. I was, I was looking at this yesterday um, because I, I wondered, uh, you know, I, I mean, if there was something more to that word than just being buffeted. When I think of being buffeted, I almost, I don't know, I kind of picture being hit from every side every time you try and react to it, you get hit somewhere else. That, I suppose that's pretty close to what he's talking about here. This word literally means to strike. Like, like particularly with your fist, um, but it carries with it a sense of um, contempt or insolence, and so it's like you know. And and how else would a messenger of Satan treat a child of God but with contempt and, and insolence? Um, uh, but it says that it was given to him, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan is, is uh, uh, certainly an interesting thought because he's talking about not being uh, lifted up in his own in his own self, not being uh, too big for his britches, as you might say. Um, and he says, "For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me." And that's a a really short statement, you know, like. Uh, Sought the Lord thrice. I mean, I, I like the word thrice. We don't use that anymore. It's a shame. But um, you know, he's not just saying like, "Oh God, please take this away from me." Oh God, please take this away. From me. This is like he seriously sought God for this thing. Like this is a problem, and this needs to go away. And, and we've all had those things in our life where uh, if you get fed up enough with it. <laughs> You know, then you are ready to make a serious campaign of, uh, I, I want this thing taken care of. And then, and then we all turn into the uh, the widow with the unjust judge. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, we, we've all had a friend that, you know, they, they always talk about the same thing every time we see them. Uh, when they really are serious about something that they're excited about or that they're worried about. Or, or, you know, what have you. And so we kind of turn into that with God. It's like, you know what, God, I really want this thorn thing to go away. And he's like, yes, yes, I know. We, we talked about that. And then, uh, um, so he says, I've sought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, um, I was reading this yesterday and I was thinking about how we, I, and maybe this is just me, but I always kind of would think of this this whole passage like in talking about some besetting sin, like something that he just kept seeming to fall into. And, uh, and it could be. Um, you know, we often lump this idea of grace into... You know, God forgiving our sins, and it is that. But it's it's grace is a broader word than just that. It, it encompasses a lot more. And what it, it it's like a benefit. It, it's like a you know it's like a gift from God. And so when you when you think about it that way, then it's like it's not just about. Uh, like, man, I, I can't believe I did that same stupid thing again. Mm-hmm. And God's saying, well, my grace is sufficient for you. There is certainly some value in finding out that, wow, I don't have it together as well as I thought I did. That's that's grand. And, and that's part of what Paul's talking about here, about um, God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. But uh, he's certainly not glorified by that, by the fact that we keep falling into some sort of besetting sin. So there has to be something else that he's talking about here. And um, so grace then is, uh, like I said, it's, it's a benefit. It's a gift from God. And it's, it, uh, you know, he, you would need strength then to, to counterpoint that weakness that's in you. And so, you know, Paul, he, he goes... He kind of is talking about this while he's talking about all these amazing things that God has done in his life that could easily um, you know, put him in this place where he is head and shoulders above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And and so he's talking about needing, you know, uh, having this, this sense of weakness that he's aware of in, in his life. And so... That's what I thought was so great about this verse is he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So what if what if everything is going awesome in your life? What if everything is going super smooth and, and yet you just feel the sense of something missing? You know, you look around at your life and everything is just kind of, comfortable and grand, but inside you feel like there's something missing. You feel like you have, you feel like Louis Zamperini when he was in the raft, hardly a, an example of your life going great, but but they came to the doldrums where it was just, the ocean was just like glass and there was no wind, no breeze. And if you're on a ship in the middle of an ocean, I, I've only been sailing like once in my entire life, but... Uh, I know that if you don't have like an outboard motor, you need wind and a sail, or you're gonna have to get out in the the oars and row. And uh, uh, so, if you happen to be out in the middle of nowhere with no oars and no outboard motor, you just have or 
relying on God to put some wind in your sails. It's funny because everything else can be going great in your life, and if that feels like it's out of whack, you're, you're, if you feel like there's something somehow missing with your your walk with God, it feels like, well, hmm. Um, it, it makes everything else seem less satisfactory. But uh, but His grace is sufficient then because it's not. It, it takes away that sense of well, I can point to how well I'm doing. I can point to, you know, what a strack trooper I am. I can point to, you know, how much, uh, you know, how much Bible, uh, how many chapters I read this week, how many verses I memorized. I could, you know, uh, it's like we turn into the, you can turn into the Pharisee or the publican and the and the sinner. You know, it's like, oh man, my God, I'm not like that guy. You know, and uh, um, and so. God puts us in these places where where it, we need to have Him do something in our life because we can't seem to get it done. There, there's plenty of stuff that, that God tells you to, hey, I want you to do this, and He expects you to do it. But even then, His grace is sufficient for you because uh, how often does God give you something to do that it feels like, you, I don't know that I could do that 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 sounds not doable to me or sounds like that doesn't sound like something I want to do. <laughs> um, uh, back before we had kids, Cynthia and I went to, uh, uh, to Honduras and uh, we were uh, driving around in La Ceiba and Ron needed to get, uh, <clears throat> he had to like talk to the people at like his phone, mobile phone company or whatever and he could not find a place to park. It was just everything. The traffic was just pretty much bumper to bumper. There's people everywhere. No parking. And uh, <clears throat> we uh, we pull up in front of this after making several laps. We pull up in front of the more or less where this place is at that he wanted to go. And he's and he said Greg's going to drive. And he just got out. <laughs> he just put the van in park and got out. And I said a kind of but I don't want to do that. He was long gone, of course. So now I had to drive. <laughs> and uh, I'm a rather defensive driver. I drive like an old grandma. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I when I was, I was going to say, when I was a teenager, I put my NASCAR helmet on and, you know, hit the gas. But, uh uh, I realized that I, you know, I would like to live, and uh, there's nowhere that you need to get so fast that you couldn't get there driving in a reasonable manner. And uh, I was just telling somebody yesterday that uh, Cynthia is a pretty aggressive driver, and uh, we'd be like trying to pull left out of a parking lot onto a busy street or something, and she'd say she'd be looking right for me, and she'd say, "Go now, go now, go now." It's like no. I choose life. <laughs> it's like, you're the one that's going to get a hit if we pull out in front of somebody. What are you doing? <laughs> it's your side of the car. So, um, but, you know, we, we can get into those places where um, it just seems like nothing is happening. 
and uh, and God says, well, like grace is sufficient for you. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to be doing you know, X, Y, and Z that you might think that you, you need to be doing. Of course, God may tell you, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and you have to do X, Y, and Z. But there are times where um, we we just have to trust that we're okay because he's on the throne. And and that his, his grace is sufficient regardless of, of how I might feel about how I appear to be doing. Um, so and so he says that Paul or Jesus says to Paul that, that my strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, because if it's your strength, then it doesn't really bring any glory to God that He did the stuff in your life. And uh, you know that that's how you get preachers on the big, huge, uh, like jumbotrons, uh, you know, uh, doing their Mick Jagger walk across the uh, uh, the platform. <laughs> so uh, that that would be their strength. But when you when you realize that wow I I need God to get out of bed this morning and you know it's like everything feels you know, and I mean I'm talking from my own experience it's like everything in my life is going swimmingly but there's this I can't seem to get any motion here it's like it just feels like I'm floating in the middle of the ocean with no wind and no current and that's okay because his grace is sufficient, and and it makes that sense of your own strength um, uh, diminishes, and and his his strength takes it over because you don't obviously need need his strength if you've got this all under control. I was one of those super independent kids growing up, and I was would never let my parents do stuff for me, um, or well, it kind of depended on the thing, I suppose, but. You know, I, I was always kind of one of those all to do it myself type of people. And then I carried that into to work and as a consequence I was terrible at training people because it was just easier to do it myself than it was to teach somebody else how to do it. So then God put me in this place where I couldn't do it anymore and I had to had to have other people do it. And Mike taught them because Mike is a good teacher. But uh uh but I love how he goes on here in 9 to say that most gladly I will glory, therefore I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. We don't really do that, typically. Glory in our infirmities. It's like, man, I, I mean, when's the last time you, you set out to do a project and you're like, man, I can't do this. Yes. It's like, this is great. I can't think of one. Cannot think of one. You know, I, I told you guys a, I don't know, a month or two ago about this time that we rented this lift and we got got it stuck in this lady's yard, and it was pretty hopeless. I, and I was just I just kind of threw my hands up and just gave up, and I was kind of mad about it, irritated, and uh, like that would have been a good time to be like yes. <laughs> Mark Rutland tells a story about going to. Uh, Mexico, and they're out in the desert driving along, and their their truck breaks down. And this older uh, gentleman that he's with 
he just gets out and goes under the shade of this little tree or whatever by the side of the road and just puts his hat down over his face and just relaxes. Takes a nap. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, well, I'm just looking forward to seeing how God's going to fix this. <laughs> and, you know, that's not typically how we do it. Like, like I, I need to do something or this isn't going to get fixed. And and I love it because he goes on to say that, I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And this, this truck comes by after like an hour or so. And, uh, and and he, the guy just like gets up like, oh, there they are. Like he had been expecting them as if they were just one of many, many trucks that rolled by because there were none. He's like, And this little kid gets out, like 14-year-old kid gets out. And he like, he's like, all he did was like pop this little hose off of something or other and he blew in it and put it back on. If he did anything else, I didn't see it. And he said, listo. And we got in and the truck started right up. Yeah, and he, we got in the truck to drive away, and this guy looks at me, and he says, there, wasn't that fun? <laughs> it's like, we don't, we don't do that. I don't do that. Maybe you do. I, I used to, used to, qualify this, used to use the word stupidly optimistic for people like that. But, but honestly, that's a really good thing, to, to have some optimism in the power of God and not your own. So... So he says, I'll glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Because if I can't do it, then I have no other choice but to trust God. You know, I, I love, I, I say this with some hesitation, but I love logic. It's like, it's great. Because it's like, if I can't, but I have to, then I'm going to have to trust God. It's like, it doesn't give me any other options. Which makes things easy, doesn't it? It's like it's like uh, being in school and taking a multiple choice test, and you just it's like, well, it's obviously not that one. Definitely not that one. I don't think it's that one. Okay, it's gonna have to be that one, then. you know. And and uh, so you know, and and I I found that in my own life there was, you know, because God will put you in a place where you just you, you need something to change, like yesterday. And it just, you can't make it change. Like you, you could, you know, you know what needs to be done. You're like showing God, you're like, got your little car, uh, chalkboard out and, you know, with all your little drawings and trigonometry and stuff on it. It's like, see, we do this and then we do this and then this is going to work great. You know, and he just kind of you know, smiles and nods along like, yeah, that's a great plan. And, uh, but when we, when you, when you really need something fixed and you just can't fix it, then you really have no other choice than to just trust God to fix it, right? And that's a great, uncomfortable place to be. I mean, it's super uncomfortable. The great thing is, is God usually puts you there whether you like it or not and uh, kind of doesn't leave you with much choice, but then you come through that thing finding out that, wow, God came through for me. And uh, the, the 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 fellowship that you have with him in those places, and the the testimony that you get uh, that wow he really did do this stuff, and the just all the benefits that you get from going through that place you would have rather not gone, 
from having to have him fix it, you wouldn't take it back for anything. So uh, maybe I haven't gone through enough of those yet because it seems from what he's saying here in verse 9 that having gone through a few of those, you will then rejoice in your uh, and glory in your infirmities. But, uh, but trusting that the power of Christ would rest on you, that's a great thing. So he says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Verses always, always stuck with me. I, like, I, uh, I heard that on, I don't know, I was like getting in my car to go to school one morning when I was still in high school and I didn't even listen to the radio or the Christian radio station, but it was on there for some reason, and they were talking about the scripture. And ever since, all these years later, it's it's kind of just stuck with me. Mostly just the for when I'm weak, I'm strong part. I like that part. I, I kind of like to skip over the uh, infirmities and reproaches and necessities and stuff. But you know that's the great thing. Whether you know, whether your life feels like a dare I say it a hot mess, or if everything seems like it's going awesome, either way, His grace is sufficient. You, know, you, you don't need anything more or anything less than than the the, the grace that He gives you, the, the the strength for today, the the, the hope for tomorrow. Uh, and uh, and everything he does in between, and you know even if you're just dealing with this messenger of Satan that wants to beat you contemptuously, then his grace is still sufficient. So. God, we just thank you for your word, uh, God, and for that grace, God. It is indeed enough, uh, God, to to bring us from point A to point B. God, and today what we're looking to is you getting us safely to the end of the road, successfully to the end of the road. God, and our trust is not in our strength, but in your strength. God, and I just pray that you would change our thinking to your thinking. Lord God, that, that your mind would would uh, inform our thinking. God, that, that when we encounter these uh, these difficult things that Paul was talking about, these infirmities and necessities and reproaches and things, God, that uh, instead of um, getting upset and trying to, to circle the wagons, God, that we would see it, God, as an opportunity for uh, your strength to be made perfect in our weakness. God, we just pray it and ask it in your name. God, today uh, we just need you to meet every need. And everything that we're looking to from you, God, you are the answer. God, and we don't mind having nowhere else to go but you. We don't mind having no other resource but you. And that's an awesome place to be. Now, God, today I just pray that you would minister in this place to every heart as only you can. God, that you would just change us from glory to glory, God, into exactly what you'd have us to be. God, that. Um, and that you would remind us that every day we're one step closer to waking up and seeing you looking back at us in the mirror.
God, we just we pray it and ask it in your righteous name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.